welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, thank you very much. Please take your seats. I'm really, really, really glad to be here tonight based on, what Tony, on something Tone said this morning. He said, tonight, Pete will be looking at angels. I'm still here. I'm looking at you lot. This is, I don't know which better. Anyway, it's great to be here tonight, and I trust that you're glad to be here as well. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're part of this church or not, it's great, great to have you with us. We are in the midst of a series called Christmas Unwrapped. And uh, this, this series is revolving around the first two books, uh, two chapters of the book of Luke. And um, basically, we've, we're just having a look at the events surrounding or leading up to Jesus' birth. Last week, in part one, we had a look at um, the, the very first four verses of Luke. And we looked at the fact that this book isn't just about, it's not just religious propaganda. Okay, it is actually a carefully investigated account of the things that were happening in and around the life of Jesus Christ by a man who was not writing with a bias. We, we, shouldn't say, we shouldn't discard the Bible because we're saying the people that wrote the Bible have got a bias. We should be asking the question, why do they have a bias? Why do they believe the things they believe? And so we see that Luke was very careful in his accounting and his investigating about what went on. And he was convinced enough to write this thing down and to live a life, his whole life, for God from that moment on. In fact, many of the disciples actually died um, because of what they believed. Then in the, in the evening says, had a look at prophecy, the fact that these weren't random events that just happened out of nowhere and surprised everyone, but the Jews were actually looking forward to the arrival of this, this Messiah whom Jesus was. And so there was a prophetic lead up, if you like, towards these events. We weren't unaware of what was going to take place. And then this morning, Tone spoke about the virgin birth. And uh, that was great. Just pulled out a few facts about the fact that anything is possible with God. And once you've got a worldview that includes God, nothing's impossible. If you, um, if, if you don't believe in God, you might struggle to believe in a virgin birth. You might struggle to believe in a whole bunch of stuff. But you've got bigger problems than that. First of all, you've got to decide how we actually got here and work that one out. Okay, so, and we looked at that. We looked at the implications of the virgin birth. And uh, tonight, I want to continue our look at verses at Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 by looking at the topic of angels, God's messengers. And I'm going to start by reading to you from Luke chapter 1, verse 11. The context here is a guy called Zechariah who's a priest, and it's his turn to go into the altar and uh, into the, the temple and to light the incense and stuff. And so in verse uh, chapter 11, sorry, verse 11, chapter 1, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Zechariah, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. There's Luke's specific detailing in the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you are to give him the name John. He then goes on and gives a bit of detail about who John will become. And in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Uh, in verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And I'll be praying I'll be able to speak all night. So we see this is the first of three, three angelic encounters in the first two chapters of Luke. The first one is to Zechariah, Gabriel. The second one is also Gabriel, and that's to Mary, announcing the birth or the, the, the pending birth of Jesus Christ. And the third one is to the, to the shepherds after, just after Jesus' birth, announcing that Jesus has been born and they would to go and see him. And so we're talking about angels tonight, and there are many beliefs about angels. I mean, people have got all sorts of ideas about what they look like. You don't see, I mean, I guess there's been a few films out recently where you kind of get the, the tough angel um, appearing. But for the most part, angels look pretty insipid. They're usually a bit girly. Often they're young and, you know, maybe even babyish. Um, they've usually got wings. They've usually got long hair and flowing gowns. And, you know, you sort of think about the Renaissance pictures of angels. And they sort of, I guess, have, have dictated to us our image of what angels are all about. And, you know, with Christmas time, you know, many people have got one on the top of their Christmas tree and all of that sort of stuff. So there's a, very people have some perceived, uh, some perceptions already about what angels are um, in terms of their mind's eye. People think about um, the term guardian angels. And many people believe in guardian angels. They believe that every person has a guardian angel. Some people believe that when you die, if you're good, you actually become an angel. And so there's all sorts of beliefs about angels. And um, hopefully by the time this message is finished, you'll have a little bit more of a clue from the Bible about what the Bible tells us about angels. And hopefully a little bit be in, also be a little bit inspired about what the Bible tells us about angels. We see that um, just as in the beginning of Luke, throughout key times in history, um, there seems to be an increase in angelic activity, or at least our understanding or our ability to perceive angelic activity. And we see throughout um, key periods in Israel's history, angels became, became more evident in what they were doing. And this is no different in this particular situation that we're talking about here. And possibly even today, it may not be by coincidence that there's such a groundswell of interest in the whole realm of the supernatural, and even outside of the church, possibly more than inside of the church, there's an interest, an awareness, and a belief in angels, demons, even vampires and ghosts, and all sorts of stuff are capturing people's imagination, and that's obviously reflected in much of the media, much of the entertainment that's on our TV and in our movies and all those sort of things. Okay, it's interesting. I said the church in many ways has let go of the supernatural um, to try and please the world, and yet the world is, in the midst of a a rational, technological, modern society, is actually going back and and looking again at the reality of the supernatural because they recognise life without the supernatural doesn't make too much sense. And so tonight, I want to have a look firstly at the, the reality of angels. I mean, obviously, we can't prove experiential, experimentally, that angels exist. But again, we can weigh up the evidence. And again, I don't think we should reject something just because we haven't experienced ourselves or perhaps because it's going to mess with our worldview and maybe challenge our our paradigm or our lifestyle or whatever. They're not good reasons to reject something. Okay, I think our attitude in life should be, I'm going to weigh up the evidence and then go where the evidence leads. 
And so again, we can't, I can't do an experiment up here, you know, just add a bit of this and a bit of that and hey presto, an angel for you. I, I can't do that. But the fact is that the Bible records thousands of years of hum, human history and there are many, many encounters with angels written in that particular book. That should say something to us because as we looked at last week, the Bible is not written by fruitcakes. It's written by rational people who, just like you and I, had a love for life. They had family, many of them, and they weren't just out there to be mocked and, and, and made fools of. Okay, And so I think the fact that there are so many accounts of angels should, sit us, should cause us to sit up and take notice in the first instance. Again, if we go on, we should note that these supposed encounters with angels were backed up by tangible events that could be measured and could be seen. For example, Zechariah, we just read that the angel said, you didn't believe me, therefore you're going to be silent until the baby is born. And so the people waiting outside for Zechariah didn't hear or see what was going on inside the temple, but they knew something was going on because it took a little bit longer than normal. And when he came out, he couldn't speak. There was evidence that something had happened. They could work out from what he was trying to communicate to them without words that something had happened by way of a vision or something. Okay, we see that. Um, And the thing that the angel had spoke about came to pass. In other words, John the Baptist was born and went on to be the man that the Bible, that the angel described. As too with Jesus and the virgin birth from Mary, um, again, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It it doesn't matter if you have a vision or a dream. If nothing comes out of it, it could have just been, you know, a bad pizza from the night before. But the fact that these things were followed by events backing up the the experience would suggest that the experience was legitimate and real. Okay, likewise with the shepherds. With the baby born, Jesus Christ, go and see him. They did and there he was. The fact, again, there are multiple witnesses. Again, as with the appearance of Jesus to the 500, uh, 500 people at once, so too, a, a bunch of shepherds see a multitude of angels. Again, it doesn't matter how good your drugs are, you're not going to be all seeing the same thing at the same time. Okay? So multiple witness. The fact that outside of the Bible there are many ancient and modern accounts of um, encounters with angels. Um, and, and even... People you know, and possibly even some people in this room, could say, I actually believe I've had an encounter with an angel. Maybe even people in this room would have had experiences that when they weigh it all up, maybe they didn't know it was an angel, maybe they, but as they come to church and they hear it, they, maybe that's what I saw. Maybe that's what happened in this particular situation or, or, or event. You know, the mysterious strangers where people maybe receive some news or maybe get some help or maybe there's some sort of intervention in a situation that's potentially dangerous. And there's a person there who you look around afterwards, you can't find that person, you ask a few questions and no one knows that person. They didn't have massive wings and they weren't all glowing and shiny and 10 foot tall or anything like that. They were just people. But that's the way they appear in the Bible on many occasions. And they seem to have no no past and they can't be found in the future and so possibly they were angels. The Bible says that some people have entertained angels unaware and so there's a possibility that angels have walked amongst us and we didn't even know it. Maybe it's the voice of a person who calls out. I remember a friend of mine, Eugene, uh, he grew up in Russia and he, used to, he lived in one of those big drab apartment blocks and one of the things he used to do was run across the roof at night. And they jump from roof to roof and do crazy things. He says, one night he's running flat out in the dark and he hears this voice go, Eugene! 
And he stops and he turns around and he has a look, thinking that one of his friends is on the roof and there's no one there. He can't find anyone. He's about to start running. He looks down, he would have gone straight off the edge of the building. Again, I put it to you, possibly an encounter with an angel. Okay, so many, many people have had encounters. My father-in-law is one of those rare people that can actually often perceive when there's angels around. He can, he, again, he's not the sort of person that you would expect to say something like that. He's, a, he's an electronic engineer, had a very responsible job. He's head of the president of the Baptist Union. Um, he's not the sort of guy you'd expect to find lying around in a waiting pool in some church foyer saying, Holy Spirit, fall on me or whatever. You know, sorry, I don't want to offend anyone. Sorry. 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 Sorry, there's some, there's some extremes out there. There's some people out there that are kind of on the fringes of Christianity and, there's all sort, and when they say stuff, and you, know, you kind of take it with a pinch of salt because you're not sure what's going on. But he's not one of those guys, is what I'm saying. All right? The Bible doesn't tell us as much about any subject as we'd actually like to know. And it's no different when it comes to angels. There are a few things that we can glean. I'm just going to run through them quickly. Um, but basically, angels themselves are created... Spiritual beings, okay, they are distinct from humanity, totally separate, okay? We do not become angels when we die, okay? Angels are are existing already, um, and when we die, we also go to be with God, but we don't get a set of wings and a harp and like so many people think, all right? They're usually invisible to the human eye. But again, I know of people who, for whatever reason, seem to have a gift. Maybe it's a spirit of discernment. I don't know. But for some reason, they seem to be able to see things. And again, if my, my, my father-in-law has told me, you know, he might be in a certain situation. It could be a church. It might have been a funeral or whatever. And he can actually discern, as, as clear as I'm standing here, he can discern other beings that, are, again, would fit the biblical description of angels. It's interesting that Possibly animals can see angels. Certainly we see that the donkey that Balaam was riding was able to pick up on the angel. Balaam was blind and oblivious. The, man of, the spiritual man couldn't see anything, but the donkey could pick it up. And again, you know, for those that have, you know, you've sometimes got cats and dogs and something weird goes on and they're just going off the, you know, you don't know. We just don't know what's going on. It seems that angels can take on the appearance of people. And again, most, in, um, most times when they appear in the Bible, they certainly just appear as normal people. They don't, they're not described as having massive wings. They don't stand out because they are bright and shining. Sometimes they do, but, but generally speaking, they don't. They're just people. People have an encounter, something happens, and they realise afterwards what had gone on. There seems to be uh, possibly different types of angels or certainly different types of spiritual beings. You know, the Bible talks about um, cherubim and seraphim and some of those do, by their description, have wings and seem quite awesome and amazing and all that sort of stuff. And, and then there's angels, which again, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it specifically says an angel has wings. Even if they're flying, it doesn't actually mention they've got wings. Um, there's a very large but a fixed number of angels. It seems that angels are not able to reproduce. And the Bible says, you know, when we're in heaven, we're going to be like the angels in the sense that we won't be giving, um, being married and being given marriage and so on and so forth. So that's just a little bit of background information in terms of angels. What about the roles of angels? What do they do? Well, I guess primarily their role is to worship and serve God. Um, Psalm 103 verse 20 says, it simply says, praise the Lord, you mighty ones who do his bidding. 
and it's talking about the angelic hosts. And so that's, I guess, part of their primary role is just to worship and honour God and to do whatever it is that he wants them to do. It's interesting that you know, many things that we attribute to God um, are poss- more than likely it's actually an- angels that are working on God's behalf than it is God himself getting involved. It's going to mess with your head a little bit, but I didn't think about it like that, did you? But why have a dog and bark yourself, as the saying goes? You know, God has got servants in the angels, and so much of what goes on around about us that is of a spiritual nature and spiritual outcomes is most likely because God has, given, has commissioned his angels. The Bible says he gives them charge over us. And so they are interested in what's going on in our lives, and God is ordering them and, and getting them to do things that will benefit us ultimately. The word angel itself simply in both the Hebrew and the Greek means messenger. And so implicit in their whole being is the fact they are servants who bring messages. And again, we see that in all three of those passages I just mentioned before, that what happens? The angel comes to Zechariah, brings a message about John the Baptist. The angel comes to Mary and brings a message about Jesus, who will be born, uh, she'll be a virgin when he's born, and brings a message to the shepherds. And many times that is the case. We see that they are servants of God's people. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, aren't they servants of those who are going to inherit eternal life? And again, so there's no doubt, in a sense, there's a sense in which angels are involved in the answering of our prayers. You know, when we are wanting certain things to happen, we're praying for our city, or we're praying for our nation. You know, there's, an, there's a sense in which the angels will be responding, perhaps, or not responding to our lack of prayer, or no, to our lack of prayer, or to our prayer. They're certainly going about orchestrating events on our behalf, and we see that uh, in the book of Daniel. You know, there's a there's a, there's a, like this battle going on for the, for Israel's future, in a sense. And uh, the angel Michael breaks through. It's taken him 21 days to respond to Daniel's prayer. Because it's like a key time in history. It seems like the devil is out to, to thwart God's plans for this nation Israel because through this nation Israel is ultimately going to come the Messiah, the person who is going to save the world. And so there's this, this battle that goes on. Again, we just get little glimpses of these things. We don't get the full picture in Scripture. We don't get as much information as we want. It's just like these, just these tantalizing little tidbits of information. But the Bible does talk about this unseen realm of, of the angels, that the angels dwell in the spiritual realm. And there are some good angels and there are some evil angels. I'm not, not going to go there right now. The angels are also involved in protecting and rescuing people. And I don't know if there's going to ever be such a thing as angel bloopers in heaven. <laughs> but I reckon there'd be some pretty funny things that they get involved in. Particularly, you know, us I can certainly think of myself as a young, dumb Christian and some of the things I did. And I can remember a certain friend I had in Mildura. And, and I reckon there must have been at least half a dozen assigned just to his car alone. The way he used to drive, you know. And who knows? But it, I'm, we were joking the other day about a certain, an incident that happened in the car park. And, and there's just possible there might have been an angel squashed between two cars that avoided this accident by that much just because of the gravel out there and maybe not quite allowing enough room for braking. And, but who knows? They're involved in some way. And certainly they're involved in ways that are to protect us. We see that Peter himself, the Apostle Peter, um, in Acts chapter 12, is actually delivered out of jail, rescued, released out of jail by an angel. He thinks he's having a dream. He's got no idea. 
One minute he's in jail, a stinking, festering hole of a dungeon, and he's got guards chained to him, and, and next minute the, the place is filled with light. This is one of the instances where it is a bright light with the angel, and everyone's asleep, and so somehow the chains just fall off his hands. He lead, the angel leads him out, and he rocks up at the, the place where the church is actually praying for him. And they don't get it. They think that they're, the little servant girl goes to the door, and she, um, she says, uh, Peter's at, no, she said, says, Peter's at the door. And they said, oh, no, it must be just his angels. So again, there's possibly some sort of belief in guardian angels or whatever there. But, you know, they're praying for something. An angel gets involved and releases Peter. They struggle to believe it. But again, in response to their prayers, we see angels were put into action. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Jesus the Son or God the Father that was actually involved in that action directly. But indirectly, through giving the order, the angel goes and does the work. That make sense? Many, many stories throughout history. John Patton was a story of a missionary who um, was out in a missionary outpost. And again, many of you would know that missions, when they first get there, particularly to, you know, turn of the century, and those, often it, the response that missionaries got was not pleasant. It was often hostile. And this particular man and his family were in this little missionary outpost, this little hut, and word came that they were going to be wiped out that evening. And so... What can they do? They're a bunch of miles from anywhere. All they can do is just get on their knees and on their faces before God and pray for God's protection. And so they pray right through the night. By the time the morning comes, nothing has happened. And they're thinking, that's odd. You know, by all accounts, we're supposed to be dead now. And the long and short of it is, I think it was about a year later, the, the tribe in the area, the chief got saved, and as a result, many of the tribe became Christians. And when they asked about that particular night... The, the response came back, well, who were all the soldiers around your house? And they said, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, we were, gonna, we were all ready to, to attack you, but there was no way we were going to take those guys on. And there are so many stories like that. I've heard stories of a, a young girl who was, um, she walked through a place where just later um, a girl was raped and I think killed. And somehow, again, just by coincidence, she finds out that she was going to be the target, but the guys walking with her had put the guys who'd committed the crime off. She was walking on her own. And so for some, some reason, they'd been able to see what she'd not been able to see. And so many times, I think, in our lives, that you know, we're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to think, we're going to be aware of this situation where God's angels have been given charge over us, actually bringing protection and protecting us from things that we're not even aware of, because that's the way they work. I know um, early in our married life, we had some intense spiritual battles, and, and it kind of makes sense now in light of what God's done through um, myself and Sally Ann, Tone, and Kath, and those that were integral in, in starting this church. And there was some stuff that Sally Ann was going through, and you know, she herself had, had a vision of an angel. One particular time we were praying, and, and, and that um, vision for her was, was kind of instrumental in. Um, or corresponding with that vision was some, some real breakthroughs that she got in her life at that particular time. So angels are involved in worshipping and serving God, being messengers, um, protecting and rescuing people, and even avenging, even bringing the vengeance or the judgment of God. And that's a side of angels that most people don't like to think about. We like to think of the cute, cuddly, friendly angel that's always on our side, go guys, you know, cheering us on. But we see in Scripture both Old Testament and New Testament, that God, the angels are judgments, uh, sorry, are, are servants of God's wrath. And actually, 
are involved in killing people on occasions as acts of judgment. We see right through the book of Revelation that there's, there's some things that, that, um, where angels are directly involved in bringing some, some serious issues and serious disasters into the world. Okay, so um, I guess which brings me into my third and final point is just a response to angels. What's an appropriate response to angels? Most people's understanding or impression of angels would surely elicit a response like, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, you're beautiful. <laughs> but that's not what happens because, again, aren't they? They're generally little babies or little kids, little girls with beautiful long hair or, or, or attractive women in their prime. You know, that, that's the pictures that you see in chapels and paintings and all that sort of stuff. But that's not what we see happen. We see virtually every account that I can think of in Scripture, the first words of the angels are, do not be afraid. And we see that, that Zechariah, it wasn't just an afraid, oh, oh, you startled me. It says he was startled and afraid. We see the angels, uh, the, the shepherds were terrified at what they saw. And so the response seems to be the first response over and above everything else is just one of fear when angels come around, okay, because they are um, while they're human, they, 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 they obviously carry a, a weight in terms of their presence. <clears throat> Other responses, I guess an acknowledgement of who they are, a respect for what they do, and even an appreciation for what they do is, is certainly not inappropriate. I think uh, Zechariah, his problem was, he would have been better just shutting up earlier or maybe just saying, awesome news, thank you very much, rather than calling to question. Or maybe Mary's response he could have gone with, which was, sounds good to me, let that happen. Rather than getting into doubting what this angel had said. Other issues that people have or other responses that people have, I guess, can be an unhealthy preoccupation with angels. So they are to be, I guess, Acknowledged, respected, and appreciated for what they do. But we're not to go into that realm of worship. We see John uh, in the very last book, uh, chapter of Revelation. He's about to bow down and worship this angel that's been involved in showing him these things to come. And he says, No, don't do it. Don't worship me. I'm just an angel. I'm a servant of God. I'm not God. And so we see that wherever there's an angel, uh, wherever there's angels promoting worship, it would, it would make sense to me then to understand that would be an evil angel because angels that are, not, that are godly are going to deflect worship from themselves onto God. Whereas angels that are ungodly, evil angels or demon spirits, are going to try and bring worship to themselves because they're trying to deflect it off of God. So that would be a, I guess if you ever did have an angelic visitation of some description, that would be some sort of clue right there as to the intent of this thing. Because we do need to be aware. You know, the Bible talks about a discerning of spirits as a gift. Um, and, and the Bible talks about the fact that the devil himself can masquerade as an angel of light. Now, he can look like something beautiful. He can look like something awesome, something magnificent, ma magnificent, something holy, something that would do you good, and yet his intentions are the exact opposite of that. And his nature and his character are the exact opposite of that. And I think one of the problems that we see in the church today is some people are so desperate for a spiritual experience, they will take anything. And they get themselves into all sorts of trouble because they're following deceiving spirits. They're not having genuine angelic encounters. They're just taking any spiritual encounter and whatever that thing says, 
they run with, as if it's the very voice of God. Those that have come from God will bring God's message, but those that don't come from God won't bring God's message, and they're going to bring confusion, they're going to bring division, they're going to bring carnage, ultimately. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, I think it is. He says, look, if you ever hear another gospel, even if it's from us or even an angel, let him be eternally condemned. And again, isn't it interesting that many of the religions that we um, are at odds with today in the world, mentioned some last week, Joseph Smith is a classic to me, the more, has a, a, an encounter with this angel Moroni that sets him up with this new religion. You've got to say, what's going on there? Another gospel? He should have known, if he'd have known his Bible, he should have straight away just dismissed that thing. But he didn't, and he was looking for something new. He was, he was looking for an excuse to do something different. And so he took it on board, and both he and many of his followers and those angels are going to be eternally condemned as a result. And so don't be so desperate. I think, you know, again, I think we need to have an understanding and be inspired by the fact that there are angels, unseen agents of God at work on our behalf. For us as individuals, I believe for us as a local church and in in our community, I believe even in, in, in a national sense, God has angels at work orchestrating the events of history. I believe he has limits in place where, you know, people can only go so far in their wickedness. And then he sends an angel and finishes them off if they're going too far. I I I have trouble believing that because of what the Bible reveals about who God is and and what his angels do. But we've got to keep these things in perspective. We're not here to worship angels. We're here to appreciate the God who sends them. We're here to worship the God who sends them. I don't understand why God chose to create this order of beings called angels, along with all the seraphim and cherubim and all the other stuff that we cannot currently see but is nonetheless real. But the fact that they exist is just another pointer to God's goodness and will be cause for greater praise and adoration on the day that we meet Him. You know, we may get the privilege of a videotape of our life that says you would have died here, you would have died there, you would have died there as well and there and your whole family would have gone there but for the angel intervention here, the angel intervention there and you would have got off in some strange religion there but for the angel intervention there and so on and so forth and all of it hopefully we just set us up for greater praise and greater worship of our God. We need to make Jesus. The focus of our life, because you and I have the privilege that no angel will ever have. Jesus died on our behalf. You know, angels live in the presence of God. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. And maybe that's why when some of the angels took off out of God's presence and chose to rebel, they don't get a second chance. Their eternal future is set. God created hell for them, not for people. Because they didn't need to live by faith. They were in the glorious presence of God and still they chose to rebel. And yet they look on at us and you know, 1 Peter, I think it is, or um, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, speaking of this glorious salvation that we have, it says, even angels... Long to look into these. They, they must scratch their head. They cannot get the fact that these creatures made of mud, that a God would love them so much. That, and maybe that was Satan's pride. And maybe that was his beef with God. Here we are, the glorious angels of heaven. And you, 
you set your affections on them. Those scrawny, weedy little things that have to walk places to get somewhere, they can't just be here or be there and they can't fly, they can't do anything. What are you doing, God? You're a fool. And angels, they don't get it. They don't long to look into it. And yet God has set his affection on us. The blood of Christ was shed only for humanity. There are some awesome creatures on this planet. There are some beautiful and some amazing creatures on this planet. And there are awesome and amazing creatures that we cannot see that inhabit the realm around this planet. But you and I are the only beings in the entire universe that are created in the image of God. The only ones that Jesus has come to die for. Could we just bow our heads? I'd love to pray for you and hand over to Tone in just a moment. Just let that sink in for a moment, that you are special in God's sight. You are unique in God's sight. That Jesus did for you what he didn't do for angels. Jesus did for you what he didn't do for anything else in all of creation. He came and gave his life up as a sin offering, a sacrifice to cover over the sin of your life. Every one of us, the Bible said, has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us born with tremendous potential for good because we are created in God's image. But every one of us, marred because of the fall of man through Adam and Eve, unable to live up to our own expectations, never, never mind the expectations of a holy God, and therefore in need of a saviour because the ticket into heaven is perfection. There's only one way you get to dwell with a perfect God. And that's to be perfectly righteous. Otherwise, it's to be cast away from God's presence. Sin and God's holiness do not mix. That's why Jesus came. I don't know if you're not a Christian here tonight, but I would love to give you an opportunity to respond. And then just pray for you, along with the rest of the church. I'm not going to get you out the front or embarrass you or anything else. But I just want you to put your hand up. If you are not a Christian, you'd like to make that decision to become one tonight, to become a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying you have to be perfect to do that. I'm saying Jesus has made up for your imperfections. Jesus has made up for all the mess that you've made of your life. You might be even a respectable person. You still need Jesus. If you don't know him, I'd love to give you the opportunity. Just put your hand up if that's you. Or even if you've known God and walked away and you're coming back tonight, again, you're also included in this. Please put up your hand if you'd like to respond tonight. I'm not going to drag this out. Father, I want to thank you just for the opportunity to share tonight. And Lord, I trust that what I have shared would indeed just be returned to you in glory and honour as we appreciate all that you have done on our behalf. The fact that you would die for us, the fact that you would create an order of creature that could, behind the scenes, be working on our behalf, protecting, providing, saving, and, and doing all manner of things, Lord God, setting the course of nations, putting limits in place, perhaps setting up events, Lord God, that would propel us forward in our walk with you. Thank you so much, our God. We give you honour and praise tonight.
In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.